0: Welcome to another episode of Eureka Nerd. I'm Will, an actual cryptid.
1: And I'm Leah, skeleton fangirl.
0: And you come to us this week, hopefully right around in time for Halloween. If not, just consider us too full of candy to go on. We start off with something suitably spooky for this autumnal season. The nights are growing dark. It's getting cold out. What's that, a shape you see rustling in the bushes?
1: It's a shark!
0: Probably not, but is my spooky narration getting to you? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that Sharks get even worse reviews, just generally kind of a bad rap, when viewed with ominous background music.
1: This is a team based at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at the University of California, San Diego, who investigated how the background music of documentaries affected how people viewed the animals featured in them. In this case, sharks.
0: Which makes sense, because when it comes to movie big bats, we've had some great shark films. We've had... Jaws, obviously we've had Deep Blue Sea uh, There's a new one coming out with Jason Statham called Mega and then you get into where they're coming from with the whole Mega Shark versus whoever, my money's on Mega Shark but let's see if we can just do a little bit of narration if you'd be so kind as to open up the Wikipedia page for sharks
1: This is in fact the Wikipedia page for Great White Shark
0: Okay, so we're going to do this with a little bit of background music and listeners, see if you can tell the difference
1: According to a 2014 study, the lifespan of great white sharks is estimated to be as long as 70 years or more, making it one of the longest-lived cartilaginous fish currently known. Great white sharks can accelerate to over 56 km per hour for short bursts. The great white shark has no known natural predators other than the killer whale. The great white shark is arguably the world's largest known extant macropredatory fish and is one of the primary predators of marine mammals. It is also known to prey upon a variety of other marine animals, including fish and seabirds. It is the only known surviving species of its genus, and is ranked first in having the most recorded shark bite incidents on humans.
0: Maybe something you can tell the difference between having the completely rights-free, I assure you, music occurring behind sample one and sample two. We've got a quote here from the author, Mr. Andrew Nozzle describes that given nature documentaries are often regarded as objective and authoritative sources of information, it is critical that documentary filmmakers and viewers are aware of how the soundtrack can affect interpretation of educational content.
1: A lot of sharks are very important to the ecosystems they are part of and are very vulnerable. There's a lot of species that are critically endangered.
0: And there's always that statistic of You're more likely to be killed by blank than a shark. It seems to change year by year. Let's have a look at things more likely to kill you than a shark. Including traffic lights, coconuts, high school football, champagne, and just plain old falling down.
1: Be nice to sharks. They don't deserve being so horribly feared.
0: Let's see if we can do the same thing but backwards by putting some of that spooky music to completely innocuous text. If you go down to the woods today, you're in.
1: That is not innocuous. For a big surprise. You know perfectly damn well that's not innocuous. Anyway, in other ways, our brains can play tricks on us. We have the headline, Psychologist's magic makes a non-existent object disappear.
0: But the subtitle here, just to explain that a bit more clearly, of experimental psychologists find that one in three people, that is 33% of us, can be convinced by a magician... They've just seen an object disappear, even though the object was not there to begin
1: with. This is a very important study for considering things like eyewitness testimony. Because what you actually saw and what you think you saw are often very different things.
0: And this has been led by not just some collection of magic enthusiasts, this comes from a team of experimental psychologists from Oxford University. And Oxford tend to be quite rigorous in their studies. Led by a Mr. Matthew Tompkins, who explains the science of magic has actually played a significant role in the development of psychology. Founding fathers of psychology were keenly interested in understanding how magicians could manipulate people's perceptions.
1: They had a set of volunteers watch a series of videos showing parts of magic acts and were asked to describe what they saw afterwards, rating how surprising, impossible, and magical it has been. Some of these videos showed a magician making an object disappear and some of them showed a magician doing the same motions but without the object. And a third of people, having had the expectation set that there would be something there, assumed there still was. Believed absolutely that there had been an object visible in all of the videos. Do you
0: think these are the same third of people who will always fall for the hey what's that over there trick when they're trying to run away?
1: If you're vulnerable to that sort of misdirection, then it's going to carry through to all aspects of your life.
0: Final quote here from the authors. We think what may be happening is that people are effectively confusing their expectations with a true sensory experience. They expect to see another video with, you know, the stimulus of a crayon or a coin. and This expectation is so vivid it can actually be mistaken for a real object. And at this point we get into the fuzzy psychology of people seeing what they want to see.
1: Brains are very strange things. They don't record the world accurately, as far as we can tell. There's um, already been plenty of studies done on how the language used to describe an event affects your memory of the event. So why shouldn't your expectations before you witness something have a similar effect on how you remember it?
0: it turns out even when your brain is going into a situation fully armed with the information it should have, You still can't trust it in new research from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Centre, which finds that knowingly taking placebo pills still eases pain.
1: Placebos are super weird. I mean, there's endless studying going on with them because they are so weird. We've got different coloured pills work better for different things, even if they haven't got any active ingredients at all.
0: Some people taking placebo chemotherapy develop side effects.
1: I mean, a lot of it you can say it's because you believe it, this study contradicts that. Or it might be that you are associating taking a pill with feeling better because under normal circumstances, you have a headache, you take an ibuprofen, you feel better. But the fact that placebos have been shown to work in species other than humans, for example, horses, and in much the same way, whereby a more invasive placebos treatment will be more effective than a less invasive one. I mean, a horse can't know that this is supposed to be good for it. I feel
0: like there's a lot the horses don't know.
1: So many things. They're not very bright, actually. I know a lot of people are very fond of horses, but they're skittery and stupid.
0: Quoting from senior author Ted Kapchuk, who is director of the Programme for Placebo Studies at the Centre, these findings turn our understanding of the placebo effect on its head. I'm sure there's a pill for that.
1: Moving on. We have the wonderful news that dogs not only understand the intonation of your speech, but also the vocabulary.
0: Following on from placebos in horses and not knowing what they're really doing,
1: dogs do know what they're doing. And
0: why? I really encourage you to go and look at this article, which we're going to link in the description, because it's got a picture of lots of dogs. In In fact,
1: it's got three pictures of a bunch of dogs sitting on an MRI scanner.
0: And they all look just really enthusiastic to be there. They're all wearing matching bandanas. It's, it's just delightful.
1: Dogs were exposed to recordings of their trainers' voices as the trainers spoke to them using various combinations of vocabulary and intonation as the dogs were being run through the MRI scanner. And what the MRI scanner showed was that dogs were recognising individual words regardless of the intonation and that they were doing so in a very similar way to human brains.
0: There's the difference between someone coming up to you on the street and going, Who's a terrible person? It's you. Who's just the worst? You are just the worst. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And someone shouting, Hi! I like you! Maybe not so much the second one. So where were we? We talked about dogs, we've got pictures of dogs in MRI machines, we've got talking about sharks. Sharks not in MRI machines makes it much harder to get them into the building.
1: Our next story is about the various effects of online activity on kids' school scores.
0: We've heard about shark brains and dog brains, on to squishy human brains now. Because for many people listening to this, and certainly the two people talking about it, a large part of being in school was leaving school and going home and playing video games.
1: And it turns out, playing video games online seems to lead to better marks in various school subjects. Uh, The ones mentioned in the study are maths, science and reading skills. While, on the other hand, spending the same amount of time on social media does nothing to help.
0: And I'd like to point out that this wasn't just, you know, oh, we'll get a couple of kids, we'll take them out of school, we'll have them play Tetris for a bit. This was a survey of 12,000 Australian 15 year olds and like you say teenagers who used Facebook or chat every day scored 20 points lower in maths than those who never used social media
1: while students who played online games most days scored 15 points above the average in maths and 17 points above the average in science so go home play video games maybe also do your homework but only if you feel like it
0: whilst you're at home playing video games if you're those 12,000 Australians, that's fine, but if you're one of the 6 million Americans at risk of the unsafe levels of toxic chemicals found in your drinking water, then um, maybe pounding all the Mountain Dew is actually better for you.
1: And I mean, heard... that's alarming, isn't it? Filling yourself with caffeine is better for you than drinking the tap water in... Is it the the biggest economy on Earth?
0: They like to position themselves as leader of the free world, so...
1: And they're poisoning their own citizens. Good work, America.
0: Well, it's not they're actively poisoning them, they're just not taking the time to take the toxic chemicals out. And this is coming off the back of the ongoing water crisis in Flint, Michigan, and surrounding areas where a uh, cleaning agent was used to try and you know purify a lot of the water, also happened to strip the lead right out of the pipes. And that's just one of the uh, toxic chemicals in question here.
1: The particular ones this study is looking at are polyfluoroalkyl and perfluoroalkyl substances which have been used for various industrial and commercial reasons Uh, food wrappers clothing pots and pans they're also carcinogenic can disrupt your hormonal function cause high cholesterol and obesity
0: at this point you've got to wonder looking at an american city oh we're seeing a spike in cancer cholesterol, obesity, and hormone disruption. What is one of the many causes as part of our Western lifestyle that could be bringing this on? And it turns out it's not just the air you breathe and the food you eat and the lifestyle you lead, but the water you drink as well. There's no escape. And quoting from the press release, lead author Zindi Hu, a doctoral student from the Department of Environmental Health, says that for many years, chemicals with unknown toxicities such as PFAS, the aforementioned perfluoral alkyl substances, were allowed to be used and released into the environment, and now we have to face the severe consequences. And this wasn't, again, a small sample. This was 66 public water sites serving 6 million people.
1: And those are just the ones that turned up positive. That's not the whole study. That's the ones that turned up positive for unsafe levels of these chemicals. The
0: upper limits of safety being 70 parts per trillion, and concentrations ranged from 349 to 1,800 parts per trillion, which, you know, if you're aiming to get below 70, then this is really not where you want to be, chemically speaking. At least America is, like you say, a leading economy, unless we look at the next study.
1: So while America as a nation is very wealthy, the wealthiest people in America are disgustingly wealthy working full-time isn't enough to lift thousands of working parents in Florida out of poverty. So, having looked at these thousands of parents in Florida working full-time jobs, the study has concluded that they would need to earn twice as much as the Florida minimum wage currently is to actually break even on their living expenses.
0: And we'd like to highlight that this isn't just that Florida can't afford it as a state but that efforts to raise minimum wage, or at least provide more of a support net for those who kind of fall between the cracks, who can't provide on the minimum wage that they have, has been actively blocked by Floridian lawmakers and business owners.
1: If you're unfortunate enough to be an American working minimum wage, we feel for you, because that sounds like that sucks.
0: Life is all right in America. If you're all white in America. (laughs)
1: I can't believe you just quoted West Side Story.
0: (laughs) You really shouldn't be.
1: (laughs) I didn't even know you'd seen that show.
0: Once Upon a Time. The the film version.
1: I've got it on DVD, we should watch it sometimes, because it's pretty great songs.
0: Well, that was a bleak, bleak, bleak look at life in America. We should have a positive news story. So why not that positive student-teacher relationships can boost behaviour in teenagers for up to four years?
1: What should be a surprise to no one? Being friendly with a teacher when you're sort of 10 or 11 can basically make you a better person.
0: We're looking at an 18% increase in pro-social behaviour, up 10% more up to two years later, and 30% less aggressive behaviour over students who felt ambivalent or negatively towards their teacher.
1: From my personal perspective, having been friendly with a teacher like that at that age meant that I was more able to see them as people moving on. I mean, equally, that meant I was more able to be a contrary little brat and cause them trouble when they got things wrong just as much as I was able to, you know, behave well in classes.
0: The study's lead author, Dr Ingrid Opseth, says that teachers play an important role in development of children. No argument there. Students who feel supported tend to be less aggressive and more pro-social. And we now have evidence for this in the case of preschool right through adolescence.
1: This study also found that the beneficial effect of these good teacher-student relationships was as strong, if not stronger, than other school-based intervention programmes like counselling. And again, in trying to make you feel better, we have a story about biosecurity in Australia.
0: Very important, because what lives in Australia needs to be contained.
1: But also, what lives in Australia is vulnerable to species being brought in from outside, which is what this is looking at. Basically, the border security is working. It's stopping invasive species coming in.
0: Now, food webs are a whole tangled mess. And Australia is something of a test case for a lot of these due to the rampant, uncontrolled invasion of many species over the last couple of decades.
1: Those damn rabbits.
0: Those damn rabbits, indeed.
1: This study is looking at frogs particularly because there are some unpleasant diseases turning up in amphibian populations at the moment, which are, I mean, they're devastating lots and lots of populations it's a major issue for conservationists and obviously australia being not connected by land to anywhere else having to be very careful about not letting this in they've got the ability to not let it in so they're trying very hard not to and um it looks like it's working the risk of introduction of these diseases has been halved so far
0: the lead author, Pablo Garcia-Diaz, a PhD candidate in the Invasion Ecology Group at the University of Adelaide, says that we've already seen the example of the introduction to Australia of Batra coquetrium which has been implicated in the extinction of six native frog species and population declines of several others. But with increasing biosecurity activities, these activities are reducing the risk of viruses, ranavirus in particular, which is the one they've been most concerned about, by up to 50%. If you look at a food web, frogs especially, what do they eat lots of?
1: Lots of insects.
0: You know what Australia is full of terrifying varieties of?
1: All those nasty spiders.
0: They will jump into your car.
1: They will hide under your toilet seat.
0: A friend of mine was working in Australia for a year, and he said that it would just be part of his daily practice when he'd go down to the farm that he was working on to open the door to a tractor and just wait for all of the spiders to jump out. And then he could start his day's work. But enough about frogs and tangled webs. We move on to much more of a ladder structure.
1: With a sociological study into how gay men navigate the corporate world.
0: The corporate world is about as scary to me as Australia, thinking about it. I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street and ooh.
1: I mean, corporate means more than terrifying bankers and, uh...
0: Their excesses.
1: Yep. Gay men feel they have to alter their behaviour in order to fit in or feel safe or to get ahead in a workplace.
0: Looking at gendered and sexual identities here, analysing thoughts on masculinity, femininity, gayness, coming out if they have come out, and how that interrelates with their specific job descriptions. Apparently a lot of conscious manipulation of identity management happens, because it's not so simple as to be a gay man, gay woman or other. You have to present in a certain way in certain environments.
1: This seems to come down to how you perform masculinity. And in a lot of ways, as far as it's concerned with um, a lot of men not associating with other men in their workplace who they feel are too gay, there really is some internalised stuff going on. And it's, it's sad that people feel... They have to modify their behaviour that drastically to be accepted and to make progress in a workplace.
0: Quoting Dr. Travis Dean Spice, I think that's how you say the surname, it's spelled S-P-E-I-C-E. There are characteristics often associated with stereotypes of gay men, and some men are labelled as too gay, while others are acceptable. Too gay here meaning... Speech patterns, body language and clothing choices that they do not feel fit to the idealised form of masculinity or otherwise masculine behaviours. That uh, Whilst gay men have careers where they are respected and accepted for being themselves, others feel they have to hide or conceal or otherwise modify their behaviour to act and dress more professionally.
1: With professionally seeming to be a euphemism for masculinity.
0: Straight white masculinity at that.
1: I'd be interested to see how this sort of how this sort of dynamic would affect gay women. In that sort of high-powered corporate environment, women in general are encouraged to dress and behave in a more masculine way to get ahead because of the way that femininity is so devalued. So it would be interesting to investigate the effect of that. I'm sure in as much as it leads straight women to feel like they can't discuss certain subjects at work because they're too girly,
0: Or even just about a female body.
1: Because God forbid you make your male co-workers uncomfortable.
0: I do feel that by titling the study in brackets, gay, close brackets, men at work.
1: They were going for the pun.
0: They were going for the pun. It continues, understanding gendered and sexual identity management strategies in the workplace. He concludes that sometimes these strategies are so intertwined that the participants themselves don't realize their efforts to manage sexuality are also managing gender. Gender and sexuality being quite separate concepts. Whether they are conscious or unconscious, these strategies reinforce and perpetuate both the idealized forms of masculinity and sexuality, indicating that there are some behaviors or behavior strategies that, for being gay, are more desirable or are rewarded other ways. Well, we've talked about politics, we've talked about sexuality, on to food.
1: With a Plymouth University study into why old people lose weight.
0: And it is a risk for lots of older people that they start to wither away almost, that they just don't have a hearty and full constitution in the way that they once did in their younger years. But could it just be that they aren't hungry?
1: And it does seem that after eating Older people produce a greater amount of peptide YY, which is the hormone that indicates to you that you feel full.
0: And there are lots of studies that have gone on regarding appetite hormones, ghrelin being one. If you if you ever search for ghrelin mouse, that is G-H-R-E-L-I-N, and have a look at what happens to mice when you inhibit or otherwise activate the pathways for their appetite suppression, then what you get are really fluffy, chubby mice. Not to say that we could end up with fluffy, chubby grandmas.
1: A lot of us have got those already. True. The previous assumption was that older people were producing less ghrelin. They're actually producing more of the hormone at the opposite end, which tells you you don't need to eat any anymore.
0: I can't wait to be sold it.
1: Hopefully there won't be that much of a market for it, because another study has found that over time, women appear to be more satisfied and accepting of their bodies and their weight.
0: And the research presented at the American Psychological Association's annual convention is a meta analysis, which is pooling the data and reanalyzing results from 250 studies, representing 100,228 participants over the last 35 years.
1: They're looking at trends in how people felt about their bodies and specifically about their weight, and found that women. While consistently more dissatisfied from men, that dissatisfaction is beginning to drop. While men's dissatisfaction has remained relatively constant, body positivity has not reached dudes yet.
0: With men, to quote the Mitchell and Webb sketch, have a shave and have a beer, because you're already perfect.
1: Yes, advertising is a, is a common culprit in these things.
0: And with women, there's been a huge push towards body positivity and body acceptance over the last few years and this has been enabled with a tremendous amount of visibility through social media campaigns through changing advertising i remember earlier this year the campaign in the london underground of are you beach ready raised no small amount of irritation and ire from people who said well i have a body and i can go to a beach so
1: men's body image issues don't always relate to how fat or thin they are often it's about whether you're muscular enough whether you look like you're strong enough. So the researchers, alongside this study, analysed the data looking at how people felt about how muscular they are and again found that men's levels of dissatisfaction remained quite consistent over time.
0: Which means that men have a problem, but they just won't do anything about it.
1: Brian Carazia, who presented the research, noted that these results were interesting as... All the data they were looking at was people in the United States, where people are fatter than they've ever been. So you might expect that people were feeling bad about being so fat, but they don't.
0: Which does provide some hope of a brief respite from being constantly told that you are somehow devalued as a person for not fitting to certain body stereotypes. We've talked about a lot of topics over the last few minutes, and if there have been some that have caught your eye or caught your ear more than others then please do let us know, but note that if you're listening to this, we expect you are something of a supporter of science, have a passing interest in it at the very least. However, general support for science doesn't always correlate with attitudes towards specific
1: issues. I think going by the headline, what that suggests is that while people might be like, yeah, science is cool and useful, they don't always do their research into specific things
0: because whilst some topics have broad support from certain quarters, there is still ongoing debate in others.
1: This, again, is a study which is kind of US-focused. America as a whole has got a reputation for not necessarily being very science-literate, for not necessarily feeling positive about things that science can do, or being very trusting of scientists as a group when they present them with information.
0: There are people... In America capable of great things, huge leaps of technology and advancement. And this is a study from the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine, who really aim to reflect the best of the best of what human beings can achieve with science. But that doesn't always translate out to broader public support, broader public appeal as well.
1: Well, that's the interesting point about this study is, despite that stereotype that Americans as a group don't necessarily have that knowledge about science to be able to make the decisions and come to similar conclusions as most other people. Having actually tested American adults on their general science literacy and knowledge of science, they form comparably with people in other parts of the world, but their attitudes towards specific issues still aren't necessarily what you'd consider to be the obvious conclusion if you'd been looking at the facts. So for example, things like climate change and genetic engineering, there's the tendency to take the media-led more extreme line that climate change is made up or a conspiracy theory or whatever, Wow, genetic engineering is the worst possible thing that could ever happen, rather than having looked at the studies and gone, yeah, climate change is probably the case and Genetic engineering can answer some very large problems.
0: If only there was someone out there who was able to go through some of these studies and share the results in a more accessible sort of fashion.
1: If only. Well, I mean, as a science communicator and a member of the science communication community, that's your job, mate. And with that... That's nearly all we've got time for. But we have one last crucial thing... To discuss. Which is the headline. Scientists experimentally realise optomechanically induced non-reciprocity. We've read the whole article on this and we have no idea what it means. If any physicists would like to weigh in and maybe explain this, that would be helpful. Because the article is not...
0: Either one will just stick to studies such as, Can you teach koalas new tricks? Yes, it takes three weeks. And cannabis makes you less alert. And a shocking surprise to no one. But with all that said and done, if you have any questions or comments, you can find us on Twitter at Eureka Nerdcast. Or send them to us via email, EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com.
1: That's Nerdcast at gmail.com.
0: And we'll see you next time.
1: Bye. I mean, please, light has reciprocity with bidirectional transmission in ordinary media. Circulators and isolators are indispensable components in classical and quantum information processing in an integrated photonic circuit. Therefore, all optical, controllable, non-reciprocal devices are always a hot topic in the research of photonic chips. Normal non-reciprocal devices are based on magnetic optical material. However, incorporating low optical optical loss magnetic materials into a photonic t- chip is technically challenging. The study utilizes ordinary optomechanical interaction in whispering, whispering, galleries, whispering gallery micro-resonators, where the two optical modes are the degenerate clockwise and counterclockwise travelling wave whispering gallery modes with opposite angles orbital angular momentums. The fuck does it mean? What is physics?